ignition sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. This is Ignition. Welcome to Ignition, a radio show and podcast for the new evangelization. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Bergwald. And I'm Father Andrew Dickinson. Hi, Father. How you doing? I'm doing well, thanks. Uh, Father, <laughs> Father and I uh, pride ourselves on our amateurish openings. So before we get into today's topic, I just want to remind you, as I try to remember, dear listener, um, Father and I like listener feedback. We love it, in fact. So if you have a topic that you want us to talk about, um, a conversation, uh, or, or question, rather, um, about something we've said in this episode of Ignition or any previous episode, please feel free to ask us. And the best way to do that is by emailing me, uh, Chris. The email address is cbergwald at sfcatholic.org. C-B-U-R-G-W-A-L-D at sfcatholic.org. So, Father, you're, we, we always, well, almost always connect via uh, phone, but you're on the road going south yes is it dry is it dry there in sioux falls for those of you who are not um from this part of the state or country or world it's been really wet this week in uh southeast um south dakota how's it where you are father um there, there's some water i'm moving out just moved out of southeast south dakota on my way to uh parts unknown and uh yeah it was uh um, there's still some water down here in parts unknown. So. Okay. So Father is uh, calling us from an undisclosed location, and we'll leave it at that. Yeah. 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 At least until they announce the Panera location uh, loud enough here in the store <laughs> for it to come up. <laughs> but there are hundreds of Panera locations, so... <laughs> <laughs> okay, so last week, Father, you and I, we discussed um, the, the sacrament of reconciliation, the sacrament of mercy, uh, Talking, we were sort of keying on, on that and talked about how we go about it, what we concretely do, and a little bit of the why. Um, and Father and I were talking, we, we, both of us, um, surprise, surprise, had more to say about it. So we're going to revisit today some, some of the, the aspects of the sacrament of confirmation the sacrament of reconciliation that we didn't get to last week. Um, one of those things for me is is, is and, I, and I alluded to some of these last week uh, in the last episode. The the way that the sacrament has changed in its practice over time. So, f- with with all of the sacraments, there are aspects of the sacraments that that can change. Some of the 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 practical dimensions um, can change over time. The core of the sacraments uh, must remain the same because they're given to us by uh, Jesus Christ Himself. So so we can't just willy willy nilly change everything we want. But there are certain things that that are historically contingent. Um, so today. Today, the way that we practice the sacrament of reconciliation today is in some ways the same as it has always been. In other ways, it's different uh, than it's been in the past. Um, and especially when you look at really throughout the first millennium, um, it, it's different. It, it changed for a variety of reasons that, that maybe I'll, uh, I'll have some time to mention. But I, 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 I like noting the differences in how it was done in the first millennium compared to how it's done today because I think it, it can uh, <laughs> because it's an opportunity for us to give thanks Father for um, the, the way that we do it today as opposed to in the past if you know what I mean so for example Father and I talked last week about how primarily the sacrament is for the the first and foremost for the forgiveness of mortal sins when we've cut ourselves off from God and his church 
Um, this is the means by which we are reunited to to uh, to God and to the church. Our relationship with Him and with one another um, is reestablished by means of this sacrament when we've committed mortal sins. Today, and it's been this way for centuries, we also take advantage of the sacrament to confess venial sins as well. So many people, uh, myself included, uh, and Father, I'm guessing this is the case for you as well, many many Catholics will, will receive the sacrament of reconciliation on a regular basis, even just if it's if, if they've only if we've only committed venial sins. Um, be, because we're cleansed of every sin that we confess, even though it's pri- was it's first and foremost for mortal sins. Um, it's it's a good thing to confess venial sins as well. And maybe, Father, that's maybe just I think we talked about that last week, but it's worth reiterating that point for venial sins. But it's a good thing to go off and to to have our, our uh, venial sins forgiven as well, right? Right, and it's it's good to have that opportunity to uh, reflect upon your conscience, uh, to examine your conscience, to prepare yourself in that way, and just. You know, uh, even just the idea of uh, what would happen in my life if I was to meet uh, if I was to meet death today. Exactly. So, so going to confession regularly, and as we talked about last week, the, the more often you go, the easier it is, uh, is a good thing. Um, even if you haven't committed, uh, thanks be to God, a mortal sin uh, since the last time you went to confession, just to confess those venial sins as well. But in the first millennium, though, there was more of the emphasis um, throughout, well, almost all of, most of the, the, the early centuries of, of Christianity, the emphasis on confessing mortal sins in particular. Um, and, and, and I mentioned last week, for instance, one of the things that that's, was done differently in the past compared to today is often in many places, many parts of the church, geographically around the world, you would not be given absolution until you had completed your pen, penance. And Father, remind, I don't remember, I think I mentioned this as well, another difference in terms of how you uh, confess your sins. In, in many parts of, of the, the church around the world, you would confess your mortal sins publicly uh, before before the congregation as well, uh, which is a lot more daunting than the idea of going uh, with anonymity into the confessional box today. Right, and, and uh, I believe that the the addition of the private uh, individual confession came about by uh, Irish monks. Right, and that's uh, yeah. A lot of lot of the changes to how we do it today compared to the first millennium were uh, do find their origins in that that shift. There, that monasteries uh, in Ireland, in particular, were giving the sacrament of reconciliation in the late first millennium. Ways very similar to how we do it now, where it's private, uh, where you would go to confess not just mortal but venial sins as well, and then where there would be as today, oftentimes uh, maybe a moment or to of some spiritual direction, some spiritual guidance on the part of the, the priest uh, giving that to the person, to the, to the penitent, to the one confessing their sins, um, and then absolution given, and then you would go and do the penance. Again, that was within the monasteries, but then some of the, the good people living around the monasteries heard about this practice, and they we'd like to do that as well. We, we would like to confess our sins uh, regularly for venial sins and, and get some guidance and so on. And so many of the, the changes from how was during early on to how it's done today uh, hinge around uh, that 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 pra- practice in Irish monasteries, and also in there uh, evangelizing back in the mainland of Europe as well. They brought that with them uh, when they went out. I remember uh, there's a book with kind of a snide. I haven't uh, read it myself, but uh, uh, called "How the Irish Saved Civilization." Yes. So which uh, refers to some of those movements, and that, that refers to some of the collapse of the Roman Empire after the uh, 
poor displaced Germanic tribes uh, came down to the north. Yep. So, so all those were all sorts of ways in which uh, ancient history, uh, documents, uh, cultural practices, and so on were retained uh, in monasteries, even in the British Isles, and and they, the, the, those 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 monks, Irish monks, brought them back to the mainland. Yep. So the the other thing, some of the other things I think are interesting, or interesting to me at least, about how confirmation uh, confession was done in the past compared to today, um, and why we have the Irish to thank for the change. Maybe um, oftentimes, not only was penance uh, absolution not given until you completed the penance, but the penance could last for years. Right. Uh, where or you it could be a, uh, in, a, in a public penitential action. I think we should talked about last year where you might have to stand or in our uh, last recording. Uh, where you might have to stand outside of uh, your church or your community and make some sort of public uh, penitential action. Yeah, we read in the Old Testament about sackcloth and ashes, and we read about the New Testament as well, for that matter. But that's in the early church that was taken literally. So the the, the penitents, those who had, had confessed their mortal sins uh, and were working out their penance so they could be absolved, would literally, in some parts of the church, wear sackcloth and ashes and ask for people going and sit basically on the doorstep of the church and ask for people going in to pray for them uh, as they undergo their penance. We kind of uh, rechanged a little bit of that in the uh, Confitior at the beginning of Mass. Uh, I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have uh, greatly sinned in my thoughts and my words and what I've done when I failed to. It's that idea of confessing to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters. Exactly. So, so we see, see we still see um, echoes of that ancient practice. The other thing too. So, in some parts of the church, particularly in in uh, Eastern Christianity, early on, people there was this progression. So, you started outside the church, and then you could you could at least go to mass for the early on, but you had to leave at certain points. You know, maybe after the homily, uh, then you could stay longer, but you can go to conf- couldn't receive communion, uh, and and then finally you would be absolved, and then you were fully reintegrated back into the community. And we still see those sorts of practices today um, anew with the reintroduction after Vatican II, or the the, the establishment of RCIA, uh, the, the Rite of Christian Initiation for, Initiation for Adults. So not, this is not something necessary, uh, but in some parishes, uh, candidates and catechumens, those who are coming into the church, will will be dismissed after, after the homily, um, or after the gospel reading. I can't remember right now, Father, which is is, but but they're dismissed and they go off and, and receive further instruction. That's another echo of the ancient practice for candidates and catechumens, but also for penitents who who could stay for part of the mass, but then had to leave. Right, and and part of that with the uh, uh, with those who are uh, being uh, brought into the church was the idea of not allowing them to see the secret or the holy of holy uh, until they've been fully initiated. Right, and so that's why early on in the church, with with receiving Holy Communion, it was this 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 literally secretive thing. Um, that's where you got misunderstandings about Christians being cannibals and so on. That some of the Roman officials thought because they didn't know the full details of what happened, they just heard things second, third, fourth hand. Um, but and the other th- some of the other things, Father, that, that strike me sometimes in some parts of the church with some sins, um, if you you couldn't just keep going back to confession. Uh, you in some places you had one shot uh, or a second shot, I, I should say, if you committed a, a serious sin. 
um, you, you, you could go through the entire process that we've been describing of, of reconciliation and you would be eventually be absolved again. But if you committed a sin again, then you could not receive Holy Communion until your deathbed. So gambling, adultery are two examples that I recall uh, of sins that, that are like that were like treated that way. Uh, if you confess them once you or if you committed them once and confess them, you go through the process of reconciliation, you're absolved. But if you confess it again, you have to wait until your de- deathbed to be absolved again and receive First Holy Communion. So right. it's a lot easier right. today. Very much so that you can go, uh, and with no limitations off, you can go, um, although a, uh, a, if, you, if you identify yourself and you work consistently with a um, priest, uh, with, with a consistent priest, if you're struggling with a habitual sin, uh, he might uh, give you some counsel in various ways of uh, um, you're trying to learn about where your true contrition is your true sorrow is, and to develop that true sorrow, because there might be times where you're using the sacrament in a presumptuous way, presuming upon that grace. Right. That might be jumping ahead of our... No, no, I think no, I think it's a great segue, actually, to talk about... Those are two of the things that we want to talk about today as well, contrition and, and presumption. So starting with contrition, Father, wh- what's that about? Well, I think with this whole idea that so well, it's, it's great that confession is available more often, I've made good use of it, um, than just maybe once in your life, it's uh, a danger with anything that we can use frequently is that we can abuse it. Right. You know, the more something's used, the more it could be exposed to abuse. And uh, so the, the, the Church is teaching on contrition, and you must be contrite, uh, is a great little way to uh, build into that and then to test ourselves in that regard. Are we truly contrite for our sins? So that's a word that for Catholics is probably familiar, but it's worth you know just being clear. So what what is contrition? What does what does it mean to be contrite? Contrition is true and authentic sorrow. Uh, true and authentic sorrow, which is sorrow not just because I've lost something, heaven or uh, lost heaven, uh, gained the pains of hell, but true sorrow because I have offended, I have hurt my beloved, uh, the Lord Jesus, God the Father, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Blessed Trinity. <clears throat> And the church, the Holy Church herself, uh, my fellow members, uh, the Church in Heaven and glory, uh, but that I've offended them. That sorrow is that is that pain and desire to no longer hurt them again. So it's being suffered, and you mentioned um, you know perfect contrition as opposed to imperfect contrition, which is sometimes also in, in theology called attrition. So so there can be different degrees of contrition. One, well, two in particular, imperfect, where I'm I'm sorry I committed a sin um, because I'm sorry for it, not because so much because as you were saying um, I've I've offended God, but because I don't want to go to hell. I'm sorry for this because of the punishment, so to speak, the 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 consequence that it entails, and so I'm going to confess it. Um, but but there's the more perfect form of contrition, which I'm sorry for this sin, not only because of the consequence that, that could result as, uh, because of it, but also because I recognize that I have um, sinned against my Creator, that, that I've, I've done, I'm, I'm not literally, but in a sense, spiritually speaking, um, I've, I've, I've done harm to God. Again, not literally, but so to speak. Right. But but you have but you have offended right. that way because you have uh, you are utterly dependent upon God for all things and but by sin you see you at you live as if God did not exist right 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 you try to have something apart from God you you treasure the gi- the gift more than the giver right right which is always offensive. 
Exactly. So when we go to confession, then we need to at least be imperfectly contrite. We we need to be at least sorry for the sins. That's sort of the bare minimum. Ideally, we'd be perfectly contrite for the sin, but but at least imperfectly contrite for the sin, which means the, the implication there, Father, if I'm not sorry for the sin, then I can't receive absolution, right? Right. If you don't exist at least some contrition and sorrow, uh, in, in that confession, then you're not really asking for confession. Then you're just talking about your sin. So, um, so have you ever, I mean, I've, I've, curiosity, I mean, is, is that something that happens, is you or your experiences of, and we're going to talk about what, what priests can and cannot say. Yeah, uh, I, I don't really want to talk about my experiences, maybe just more some hypotheticals that sure. might happen in that regard, where, you know, a, a priest as a confessor might have encounter with someone who comes in who says things but really isn't sorry, uh, may not sound. Uh, it's, uh, the, the priest uh, is in the position of judge in the confessional, and so he, if someone comes in and, you know, uh, talks about their sins but isn't really sorry, um, then uh, uh, the priest would have to enter into a conversation with them to, to elicit and, and try to move them to contrition, uh, in that case, and help them to see the wrong and the danger to their soul uh, and the need for them to be sorry. Okay, so, but but if somebody were to go to confession and they're not contrite, then they couldn't be absolved, right? Correct. If, if, they're, if they're adamant in their uh, lack of contrition. Okay, so even though you might try, if you try to get them there, but they're just, you know, Father, I'm not sorry for this sin. I mean, one would wonder why they are there in the first place, but but regardless of that, if they're not sorry at all for the sin, then they can't be absolved of it. Especially if they would use a phrase like, well, I'm not sorry that I did it. Right, right. You know? Um, and, they, you know, I think oftentimes as a person that you talk to them, if they're willing to even come into confession, there is some idea of wrong, right and wrong. Yep. Um, just that natural inclination, even though they themselves might be attached to, you know, maybe it's out of pride or out of uh, hurt or some other thing, um, an exaggerated hurt, where they say, "Why well, do I want to hold? Uh, I did what I did because so and so did something else to me." Uh, you know, I I I hit Bobby because Bobby uh, broke up with me or something right. like that. Okay. okay, well let's let's talk about this and let's okay. You know, two wrongs don't make a right, and you can you know, hopefully move them to that. And, and that's for their own sake. I mean, because that's sort of holding on to a vengeance, holding on to uh, uh, a hurt against someone. It's not good for your own soul. Right. And so when a priest uh, speaks and talks to the penitent in that way to move them to contrition, you know, um, it's not out of, oh, you're horrible because you're not contrite. It's, no, you know, you're you're never going to be whole and happy and healthy until you're contrite to receive God's forgiveness in full. Right. And again... You can't, you can't receive forgiveness if you don't think you've done anything wrong. Exactly. I mean... <laughs> Yeah, and that's you know that's what the church talks understands when Jesus talks about the um, the unforgivable sin. If you if you don't want to be forgiven of something, then God's going to respect your decision and not forgive you of it. Right. So related to that, Father, um, was well, there anything else about contrition that you wanted to mention? No, I think that probably covers it. You, and yeah, the I, other thing that you mentioned, it's hard to ask. It's hard to ask a sanguine questions like that because we just start rolling oh, on these yeah, things. Yeah, I, and, you I know, know. And you're the one that's supposed to keep a good list. <laughs> <laughs> I I have my list, and I'm checking it twice. So the the other thing, the the, the potential abuse that you mentioned uh, with with how we have access to confession on a regular basis is presumption. So talk a little bit about that. 
Well, presumption is related. Like a Christian presumption is really kind of a false vision of being sorry. Because uh, presumption is where uh, it's actually a sin in and of itself. Right. It's not just a mental habit. It's a sin of itself by which um, when we're in temptation uh, and we're trying to resist sin, we console ourselves with the thought, well, God will forgive me. Right. Okay, and so we're presuming that we're going to get a chance to go to confession. We're presuming that uh, we won't actually become so attached to the sin by the doing of the sin that we won't uh, that we'll actually be free to ask for forgiveness. Right, and and the way that's often put, we're presuming upon God's mercy itself, upon upon God Himself. Well, I know right. that you're going to forgive me of this when I go to confession, so I'm just going to go ahead and do this anyway. Right. And so, which is not a good place to be at spiritually, personally. Right. You know, it'd be like, well, I know my wife's going to forgive me, so I'm going to go ahead and spend above our agreed upon limit anyway. Right. <laughs> you know, I mean, how, how well would that work over with Mrs. Dr. Bergwald? Exactly. Not very well. No. And so, I mean, you're just presuming that I'm going to forgive you. You know, what the, what the world? Exactly. Yeah, but that's also, but no, we, we can, uh, that's some, a temptation because we can, can go to confession um, as often as we want, so that can be a temptation we face, but we can we have to remember that also, as you said, it's a sin, but as such, it can be forgiven as well. So I can, I can um, repent of, I can f- confess the sin of presumption, even, and even that can be forgiven. Yes, it should be. Right, right. So, you know, I, I, yeah, I think... Um, Especially if if you are well speaking from my own experience, um, as somebody who tries to get to confession more often, sometimes I I've, I've fallen into the sin of presumption that way. Where, well, I know you know I I work with priests for goodness sake. There's one in the office right next to mine. I can just go to confession tomorrow. That's right. a sin. And but it's not. It's don't not know come. It, right, and it's not that. I mean, yes, God will forgive me of the sin. It's 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 not that the statement isn't true. It's the attitude, my attitude towards God, that it reveals that that that's underlying that. And it reduces God to just someone who enables you to do the sin you want to do instead of actually living in union with God and God's will. Exactly. Which is a bigger crime in that regard. The bigger. The bigger sin right. is that we all, uh, as Christians, if we really try to view that God is our beloved, that we are beloved by God, and we should return love to God, uh, lovers don't seek to try and be of different minds. Lovers try to be of the same mind as each other. Exactly. So, Father, but we, we have... Is against that. Sorry, say that again? So the presumption is against that uh, being of the same mind with each other. Right. Okay. So we've got about uh, f- just under five minutes left in this episode, Father. So I think one of the things that's most interesting and, and, and what we'll spend the remaining time today on, when people think, especially in pop culture, uh, there's the Alfred Hitchcock movie that, whose name is escaping me which right now. Which you have never seen. Which I've never seen, which is called what again? I confess. I confess. So, yeah. what 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 what's brought up in that movie and other places in in pop culture at, on times is the the understanding of the seal of confession because that's a lot of questions questions that some Catholics but especially others have. So, you mean that that the priest can under no circumstances reveal what's said in the confessional, the seal of confession. What's said in the confessional stays in the confessional. Uh, can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so uh, I believe I don't have the exact canon in front of me uh, in my remote location, but uh, I believe the canon reads that the priest cannot use any knowledge gained in confession, uh, uh, that any knowledge gained in confession cannot be used by the priest against the penitent. 
So insane okay so, so that's what it says but i mean that doesn't does that that doesn't forbid like when priests get together you guys talk about what we confess right but even there it could end up against that person because i don't know uh which my penitence interacts with what other priests in what other ways as business associates and uh, maybe they're a um uh, someone that uh, is, uh, is a vendor to the parish so uh, maybe there's someone who's related to the parish so i can't say anything in that in that way to, to right. those so, priests just to pre- prevent uh, that from happening. So, just, so I, I was being facetious there. So, you, you can't talk about it. Period. It doesn't matter if you're out to, uh, um, you're you're intending to do harm to that person or to use this information against them or not. You cannot talk about it. Right. I cannot be the cause of the harm. Yep. Yep. So, so under and, no and circumstances, then even accidental harm in that way. Right. So under, but there's no circumstance. So if I, if I. If I, you know, the, I think the, you know, the the stereotypical example is murder. If I confess murder, you can't report me to the police if I'm not. No. Why? That, yep. that doesn't make, I mean, I've murdered somebody. I mean, shouldn't... Because you have to have the freedom to go to confession. And if you're truly kind of trite, you know, one could say you probably would manifest yourself as desiring uh, earthly justice as well as divine, as well as divine justice. So no circumstances means just that no circumstances you can never um, violate the priest can never violate the seal of confession he can never tell somebody else about what a, a penitent said right and that's like when we you were even saying like if you come up in situations like that as a priest I'd say well I don't want to talk about these situations let's just talk about if a priest came upon situations right so you're not even you don't even want to come close to violate because because <laughs> what if you do. What what's right. what's the consequence right. for you as the priest? Right. Oh, uh, I can no longer function as a priest. You can, so. <laughs> I'm removed from the clerical. Station. That's serious. In other words. Yep. So so can yeah, and that, is that go, do not collect two hundred dollars? Is that something that happens? Period. I mean, that goes all the way to. I mean, that's that. Can you can you quote unquote be forgiven of that in any way? Uh, not that I'm aware of. I mean, it would go to the Holy Father himself. We have to decide in this case. But I'm not aware of any of the, any cases hearing about that in my life as a priest in my eight years. So uh, um, the, the closest thing on that would be a uh, a jailhouse in Oregon uh, secretly recorded the confession of a priest and penitent uh, who was in jail, and then they sought to use that recording in court. Right. And uh, the church sued uh, for that to be stricken and destroyed because it was a violation of the seal. And thankfully, in that case, the civil judge upheld it. And and certainly that was done without the priest's knowledge, so he was not uh, removed from the clerical state because of it. And even I and my priest brothers talk about the importance of, like, if you go into a facility like that, you know, to hear confessions to serve at, uh, a jail ministry, of course not having your cell phone, removing the battery from your cell phone, you know, because we know that cell phones can be turned on remotely. Right. So that sort. And so just to not even have a cell phone around when you hear confessions. So the Church takes the seal of confession, the secrecy of confession, very seriously. Very seriously. Yep. So, so don't let that that the, you know sort of those fantastical ideas that oh priests talk about the, my sins to one another. They can't under severe uh, penalty. Pe- se- uh, severe penalty. 
So on that happy note, Father, we're done with this episode of Ignition. Um, uh, well, it is a happy note uh, because we can have confidence that what we said, said it will not be repeated. Again, if you have any questions about this episode and the ideas for future topics, email me, cbergwald at sfcatholic.org. C-B-U-R-G-W-A-L-D at sfcatholic.org. You can find this and past episodes of Ignition on our diocesan website, www.sfcatholic.org. Look under media and audio files to find them there. Until next time, Almighty God bless you, listeners, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.